what I really want to share with you today is, is a promise. And we just sung it, heard it. It's the promise of God that those who seek the Lord will find he has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life. He has an adventure for the living of that life. Let's turn to those words in the uh, book of Jeremiah. Uh, would you open up a Bible, navigate on an app, or pull the black book out in the rack in front of you? If you're pulling the pew Bible out, you can turn to page 639. All of us to Jeremiah chapter 29, uh, verses 11 through 14. And if you're able, would you stand? Let's read this aloud together as an act of worship. And when we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say thanks be to God. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14. Listen carefully. You're reading God's holy word. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. Then when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, I will let you find me, says the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes, gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. This is the word of the Lord. Grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Please be seated. Lord Jesus, when we come to worship you, we usually come because we, need, we know we need something. We, we need a savior. We know we need to hear from our beloved creator and redeemer. And so we come to your written word and we trust to your Holy Spirit that we might meet you, Jesus, the living Christ. Would you move among us this morning to speak to us in the way that each one of us needs to hear and to heal, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Well, notice this. You find yourself where you find yourself because God wants you to find him here. Wherever you are right now. I mean, I can testify how easy it is to get lost in your own life. And here, Israel is having an experience of its own lostness. They're in exile in Babylon. Jeremiah is writing a letter from Jerusalem to God's people there. Good people, but lost people. Faithful people, a remnant, but lost in their own lives. And the Lord is saying to them, essentially, you've gotten yourself lost, but I've got you to this place so that you can find me. I will gather you, the text says, from all the places where I have driven you. Notice, that's interesting. There's a dual agency here. We've gotten ourselves lost, but the Lord is also saying, I've gotten you to this place so that you can find me. It reminds me of the contested spaces of our lives, those places we find ourselves where we're lost, those places of resistance, of willfulness, places where we're not sure we really want a plan from God. Do we even believe in God at all? But these are places, these contested spaces, that are also places of possibility. This is what Jeremiah reminds God's people. This is places where the Lord says to you, I want you to find me right here. When you call upon me, he said, if you seek me, he says. Now a picture of that for me is a door. 
So just think of a door, a, a door, something that will close God out, something that could let God in. Behind a door is space. And, and this space is encircled by uh, your life, uh, is circled by circumstances, but, but it's characterized by closeness or openness at a door. So here's a picture of a door. Uh, this, this door happens to be in Cambridge, England, where we spent a month of our sabbatical. This is the door to Ridley Hall. You'd think there'd be more doors, but really Cambridge is a city of walled forts. If you've been there, you've seen that. Little cobblestone streets, but then dozens of colleges, they call them, and they're all medieval little forts, little castle-like. They're surrounded by a wall, and they've got this one door, no drawbridge. I didn't see that anymore, but what you see here is you see two double doors, and then inside of that, like uh, big enough for a carriage, I suppose, to come through. They ne I never saw the double door open, but they all have this smaller door that forces you to kind of bend over and step over at the same time to come into this place. And then you come in and now you, and for the first time you can see the college. You see the green and uh, all the living spaces and classroom spaces uh, around this beautiful open green, which has lots of rules about who's allowed to step on the grass and who's not allowed to step on the grass. But it just reminds me of a fort and a contested space. There's inside space here. And I, I don't think there's anything dangerous now, but I suppose in medieval times there was a real risk there. Now, the only dangerous thing in Cambridge that I found was the bicyclists who are riding, like everyone's late for something, five minutes late, and, uh, and the uh, delivery services on motorbikes that will uh, just run, you, run into you, and of course they're on the wrong side of the road there, so it was terrifying. We'd get back on a, from a bike ride across town and our adrenaline would be f flooding us. Uh, but we have contested spaces in our lives. Babylon is the contested space. Will we go with plan, God's plans or not? Israel was a contested space. Is this God's city or do we want to be like all the other nations? The whole planet is a contested space. That's the point of the Eden story. Will we respond to the word of the creator, whether it makes sense to us or not? Or will we decide for ourselves what's good or evil? A contested space. Why are there these contested spaces in our lives and in the world? Well, the answer is love. Jeremiah will remind Israel two chapters later in verse three, chapter 31, I've loved you with an everlasting love. Love makes room for people to say no, right? Love allows us to respond to that love or not respond to that love. This is what a, a contested space really is. So if I say to you, hey, I'm having a birthday party soon and you have to come, you must come. If you don't come, you won't be my friend anymore. How does that feel? I mean, how, how would that feel for me? I mean, I, not very satisfying for you to come. Or your love interest, you know, that really cute person who's walking across campus from time to time and you've got your eye on them and you go to your therapist because you're so filled with anxiety and the therapist says, hey, actually, that person as one of my clients as well. Um, and I've dabbled in uh, some hypnotism. How about if I hypnotize her or him and next time you see them, they'll say, honey, I love you. And they'll say that for the rest of their lives and you can get married to them and live ha happily ever after. Does that sound, like, would you do that? He's like, for sure. <laughs> no, no, you would not do that. Because real love, mature love is free creates the possibility of refusal, 
of saying no. And God wants that kind of a love with us. It's, it's part of the beauty of who God is and the richness of his love. He, 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 he doesn't compel us to respond. He invites us to respond. The Lord always comes into our lives by invitation. And so those spaces are set up where we have to decide, will we invite him in? Will we, will we choose to want his plans or not for our lives? What I'm saying is you find yourself where you find yourself because God wants you to find him there. For them, the contested space was Babylon. For me, it was Ridley Hall and UPC and my own midlife and other pockets of space in my life where I'm asking questions, where am I? Where am I experiencing God's love? Where am I resisting love? What voices do I listen to? What audiences do I play for? What patterns of unbelief hold me captive? What doors have I closed? What doors are in my life that I I never even knew I hadn't opened to the Lord? What spaces am I claiming for myself and my own resistance? What parts of myself have I hidden and been unwilling to bring into the bright light of God's grace? I wonder what happens to you if you ask yourself these same questions. We all have contested spaces in our lives. Jeremiah suggests that you are where you are because at this very moment, God wants you to find him here. This is the place where I have driven you, the Lord says. Check that door in your life. All right, we notice that in the text. We notice a second thing. The search for God engages your mind. The search for God engages your mind. As a university church, can we say amen to that? You know, the Lord says, love, love, I want you to love me with your whole mind. And it doesn't mean you're brilliant. It doesn't mean you've got a lot of degrees. It doesn't mean you've been to school at all. But what it does mean is that you use the brain that God has given you to pursue him and to love him. Especially important because Jeremiah says in chapter 17, verse 6, that our mental presets are programmed against perceiving and believing and loving God. The heart, he says, is deceptive. In our text here, he says, seek me with all your heart, Jeremiah 29, 13. The the word that's translated heart here is also the Hebrew word for mind. It's the same word. This word can be translated heart, mind, understanding, imagination. For example, in Jeremiah 51, 50, uh, he says, let Jerusalem come into your mind. And that's the same word. Often Jeremiah will use this word when he says, you say in your heart. Now he's obviously not talking about an organ there. If he's talking about our inner dialogue, he's talking about the, the way that we speak to ourselves and we would, would call that our minds. The heart, mind, understanding, imagination. So the point is, you're, you're not, and I are invited to seek me with all of that, all, all of that, your whole mind, and you will find me. Now here's another picture. The picture for that, for me, is a classroom just a kind of an icon of a place where we open our minds, where we challenge our own thinking, where we pursue truth. And here's a classroom in Cambridge. Most of the classes that Ann and I were a part of were much smaller than this, just around a table, just sometimes just a handful of other students. Uh, but this one was standing room only because the man on the right there is a man named John Lennox, and he's a very special man. He's a, a Cambridge PhD, a professor emeritus of mathematics, at Oxford, he's also a professor of uh, philosophy of science. 
he's a Christian. He actually was a student of C.S. Lewis's for a season. And he's engaged in a number of debates over the years with some of uh, the uh, uh, brightest atheists of our day, Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens, Peter Singer. Uh, this evening, he was uh, showing us a movie that he's just put out called Against the Tide, Finding God in an Age of Science. I would recommend the film. Uh, after showing the film, he gave us uh, his time for with three hours we were there uh, in a Q&A session. It was fascinating. And John Lennox absolutely believes that the search for God engages your mind. He told us a story, a conversation that he had one of his, with one of his atheist colleagues in the sciences. And he asked his colleagues, so um, what instrument do you use for your science? And they referenced the computer that was on the lab table. And uh, he said, no, no, no. I'm talking about the instrument you use to formulate hypotheses and to evaluate evidence. And so they say, oh, oh, my brain. And he said, oh, okay, so can you give me a brief history of the brain? And the person kind of went through, well, it's the product of blind and God, uh, unguided random forces. And then Dr. Lennox looked at the computer again, so okay, if I told you that that computer on the lab table was the product of blind, random, unguided forces, would you trust it? And of course, the scientist says, no. And he says, well, would you trust your brain if that's all it were? And he says, all the great scientists say no. Our, our, our brains, our minds have to be more than that in order to give us deliverances that we can trust that are f fundamentally credible. So then John Lennox goes on, he says uh, to us, you know, on the other hand, it's so interesting, one of the things that compels his own faith is this idea that the universe can be described by mathematical equations, this is his field. That the math we use fits uh, the universe aptly. This is a rational universe, that there's a rationality behind the rationality of the universe. We live in a word that, uh, that has logic to it, that there is, as the Greeks say, a logos behind it or a word behind it. And, and so because we live in an intelligible universe, uh, people with intelligible minds can sense intelligibility behind it. And in fact, this perspective, this narrative, the Christian story is one that gives us confidence in our minds. The point is, God has given you a brain and you need to use it to find God, especially modern people, because modern people have been programmed by the Enlightenment to believe that God is somehow distant, that we're insulated from the spiritual world. Charles Taylor's book, which I've shared with you before, came up again and again in these lectures in Cambridge, his book, A Secular Age, and he makes that argument. In other words, our minds are one of the most contested spaces in our lives. I think that's why the Lord says through Jeremiah, all of your heart and mind, all of your mind, the whole thing. He doesn't say just use part of it because in some ways, your mind is a contested space. Part of it thinks one way, but another part of it thinks another way. You know what I'm saying? To think with your whole mind means you have to use part of your mind to think about how the other part is thinking because of the cultural programming of our moment. It's not that we have so much unbelief in the secular age, it's just that we don't think God is really relevant because we conceptualize ourselves as completely cut off from the spiritual world. And God is distant, not inter interfacing at all with human history. We've got to deprogram that thought. It takes our whole mind.
to think that through. That's why I went to Cambridge and then later to Regent College in Vancouver, which I also recommend at University of British Columbia, to be in an environment where faithful people are studying, to learn, to push back against my own secular biases. I realized constantly I need to refurbish my own anemic imagination by immersing myself in the biblical texts and thoughtful theology. My mind is a contested space. And so one of the practices for thoughtful people is what St. Paul calls taking every thought captive. In 2 Corinthians 10.5, he says this to the church in Corinth, we destroy arguments and every proud obstacle raised up against the knowledge of God and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. What is he talking about? He's not, by the way, I used to think this meant go out and get in arguments with people. He's actually, I don't believe he's talking about other people's arguments, I think he's talking about the arguments that are deeply embedded in our own psyche. This is about contesting my own thinking with the benefit of the good news of Jesus Christ, taking captive every thought in my own head that does not acknowledge the love of God, the work of Jesus Christ, the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in my life and in the world. Take those thoughts captive so that you can love God with your whole mind. So yes, brothers and sisters, many of you, God has given you huge brains, I know that. And if God has given you a brain, don't you dare stop using it to pursue truth in Jesus Christ. We've gotta keep learning, keep growing, keep investigating. Seek me with all your heart and I will let you find me. Jeremiah suggests that the search for God engages your whole mind. I wonder what the pursuit of truth might look like in your life at this point. Well, we notice that in the text, and there's another thing we notice in the text, and that is prayer. Prayer releases the power and plan of heaven into your everyday life. Oh, this is so important, I hope you hear this. There's a message here in the text, the Lord's saying to Israel, even in exile, even in their lostness, even in the midst of their contested spaces. I mean, it may take a day, a year, 70 years, but he says, you can talk to me. I'm listening right now. And the more you talk, the more your life will change. He says, when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. I will restore. Picture that for me is a a chapel. A chapel is a place of kneeling. It's a place that we come and say, my Lord and my God. It's a place that we say, my maker and redeemer and friend. It's a place that we say, not my will but thine. It's a place of surrender. So here's a picture of a chapel in Cambridge. Uh, This is not actually uh, Ridley Hall, uh, but we came to Cambridge because of Ridley Hall. Ridley Hall is a very faithful evangelical community with long-standing tradition of preparing men and women for service and scholarship in the Church of England. And it's a worshiping community. We want to be a part of that. And they practice daily prayer. Every morning and every evening, the bell would ring. We were in the dorm room, just 50 feet away from the chapel. And the bell would ring, and we'd put our toothbrushes down, and we'd run into that chapel, and they'd give us a little prayer book, the 1662 Book of Common Prayer. And we would be there in that chapel for 10, 20 minutes, just reading and working our ways through the prayers. Thomas Cranmer, uh, in the 16th century, wrote the uh, Book of Common Prayer, 1559, was the first edition of it. And his thought was, you know, let's reclaim the ancient churches, uh, prayers of the early church. 
And if you read uh, Thomas Cranmer's morning and evening prayer every day, you would read through the whole Psalter every 30 days, every month, just the Psalms is the heart of it. And you'd read through the whole of the Bible every year. It's kind of like our immerse. And, and to just imagine what it was like at the Reformation to be able to completely immerse yourself in these narratives and pray these prayers with, with David. I mean, it had a powerful effect on me, Ridley. This particular picture that, that I'm showing you here is, is from St. Edward's Church. And if you look carefully, there's a brown wooden structure on the left-hand side, and that's called the Latimer Pulpit. This pulpit was believed to be the place where the first Eng uh, sermon of the English Re Reformation was preached in 1525, Christmas Eve. Uh, a man named Robert Barnes preached an openly evangelical sermon. And this pulpit, the very same pulpit which is used today by a former alum of the same grad school that I went to, Gordon Conwell, uh, was used by uh, Thomas Cranmer himself, Hugh Latimer, Nicholas Ridley, Robert Barnes. The last day that we were in Cambridge, we came here. Uh, it's, it's 13th century or older. It's the oldest, one of the oldest churches in Cambridge. And we wanted to have morning communion. It was a Friday morning. And we came in. There were just three or four people off to the side in a little chapel on the side of this. You can kind of see the edge of it here. And we sat down. And there was just an empty lectern. And nobody was there. We waited for the appointed hour. And I could hear the shuffling behind me, these feet, very slow. And I could hear what sounded like a dragon, speaking of the year of the dragon, labored breathing. And I turned around. And there's a very thin, very old man who to me seemed like he might have crawled right out of the crypts. I mean, he might have been there to hear that first Re Reformation sermon. I don't know. But he was sh it was going to take him five minutes to get 10 feet from the back to the front. And he came up there and he explained to us that the vicar had other university business today, so there could be no communion. But if we like, he would read the morning prayers for us, and, which he did. And he, it was very British. So he, he would say, he would say, I wonder if I were to read the odd verses, whether you might like to read the even verses. <laughs> we're like, it was so gentle and kind. And we're like, yes, we will read the even verses if you might like to read the odd verses, you know, very gentlemanly. And then he started to read, and this man, uh, he read with such gravitas. I mean, the same words that we had been reading, but. Uh, he had incorporated these words into his very being, and, he, and he'd say words like ungodly in such a way that you'd think, I'd never want to sin again, you know? <laughs> and he'd speak of our dear, uh, he'd speak of King Jesus and your dear son in such a way that you'd think that he was just about to see him himself around the next corner, which he might have. In fact, I wanted to talk to him after the service, but it was over. He was able to somehow disintegrate or evaporate into the crypts again, and I never was able to, to, to find him. I think he was maybe the warden, whatever that is. But, but I was just struck as he read um, how deeply I was taken into the prayers. And, and I think it, there's no other way to explain that but the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit met me in those prayers. And, and I'm doing more prayer because of that. See, prayer releases the power and plan of heaven into your everyday life. It says, Lord, here's what I'm going through. Lord, here's what the world is going through. I want you to come and, and do something about it. Uh, do you know that Daniel was in Babylon at this time? He, he was there. This is uh, uh, 594 BC. Daniel is there. And Daniel prayed three times a day. It's where the daily office comes from. 
Daniel's practice of praying. And one day, you can read one of his prayers, by the way, in Daniel chapter nine, but don't stop there. Read Daniel 10 as well, because 10 gives you the, the back end of the story. In chapter 10, Daniel gets this visitation from an angel who gives him a vision, and he basically says to Daniel, I know your prayers seem so ordinary, but I gotta tell you, I came from a battle. I've been grappling with the powers of darkness. Me and another angel, we've been holding back the the prince of Persia, and soon the prince of Greece is coming, and we're holding, as you pray, you are empowering us for combat in the heavenly places. Don't stop now. Because as you pray, the way things are going in heaven will be the way things go on earth. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Such encouragement for Daniel, and for us, I think, to know, oh, I don't know, do I really have time? Oh, I don't know, does it really do anything? Yes. What does it mean that we're gonna, that we're gonna leave here having asked the Lord to give us our daily bread, to forgive us of our sins, to help us to grow in love for him and love for one another, for our neighbors? It'll make a difference. I don't know, I can't explain it to you. We say, why doesn't God just do this anyways? It's because of contested spaces. God wants your invitation. In his love for us, he has condescended to us to bind himself so that his agency collaborates with our agency. Blaise Pascal said God has given us the dignity of causality. You see, he he waits for the invitation. And when we invite God to take action in our lives or in the world, he now has the permission that he wants in order to come in and go, boom, all right. Now, now I'm invited into that space and I can work. That's what prayer does. This is where Jesus lit the fire for me on the sabbatical. It was a great start, the Book of Common Prayer. The the immediacy of the Psalms, uh, praying as though God were actively involved in every circumstance of each day, and that he has a plan and and an adventure for me. I mean, I'm continuing to pray the Book of Common Prayer, and is too. By the way, if you'd like to try, there are two apps that really, really help. You don't have to do the page flipping if, if you want. Um, scan this code, I'm gonna show you two codes, so get quick, and uh, scan this one for the shorter version, and then the next, this one, (laughs) is the longer version. Maybe we can cycle those back and forth, you can see. But if you get to either page, you'll be able to find the other one. Um, But it will populate the new texts each day, so you'll, you'll be able to move through the Psalms over the course of a month and the rest of Scripture over the course of the year, and you can choose contemporary or traditional. If you're on the radio and you're unable to scan these code, just Google Church of England and Daily Prayer, and a webpage will come up that will give you access to uh, the app stores. Jeremiah suggests that prayer releases the power and plan of heaven into your everyday life. When you call upon me and come and pray to me, he says, I will hear you. I will restore. Wherever you are today, whatever you're going through, God's got you there so you'll find Jesus. He's got you there to find him. Yes, you'll need to use your mind. You'll need to look at the evidence and pursue the truth. He's got you there to follow him. And you've been given the most powerful resource ever deployed in human history. It's not politics, it's not weapons, it's prayer. It's that which allows the creator to bring his redemptive purposes into the creation. Here's what I believe. God has a plan and a purpose and an adventure for each of us in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ, each one of us and all of us collectively here at UPC. 
Okay, so let me show you one last picture, if you will allow me, with apologies. Here's a picture of our family on an adventure. This is the adventure shot, okay? This is us sailing in the Caribbean. We were down there for two weeks, one week with our family. We rented a boat. This is the first day we rented a boat, okay? It's a big boat. 20 knots of wind that day. They call it the Christmas winds. They were very high. So uh, you gotta, you know, everyone's watching at the dock. You gotta take, you've never been on this boat before in your life, right? And you get an audience. You gotta take this boat out of the harbor, raise the sails. We pulled them up, dropped our dock lines, pulled up the sails, and just, just, just lit the fuse and went bam across this sound. And we're thinking, oh my gosh, will we ever make it back in one piece? So my whole family there, my daughter's not pictured, she's behind the, the, the phone taking the picture. But this is adventure. I mean, we were, adrenaline was pumping. We will never forget this day as, this, as this, the wind p- pushed us out there. Never forget the remaining days either. But I won't tell you, God's got an adventure for each one of us that will make that pale. Just consider the story that you and I are a part of. The logic of the cosmos, the logos, has stepped into history, the living word. He's a mediator in our contested space to win a great victory over death and sin and evil on the cross. Jesus Christ, the son of God. He stands in our humanity before our creator, the heavenly father, to say, I love you freely, completely, with all of my mind, with all that I am. This is a mature love. And he intercedes for us at the right hand of the Father. He's actually sent his Holy Spirit to intercede within us so that when we can't even find the words, our prayer will move heaven and earth. This is the story that we're in. I, have the, I know the plans I have for you, the Lord says. I've loved you with an everlasting love. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. These are the words of Jeremiah. And then the words of Paul. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. We are what he's made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. This is a plan, purpose, adventure. This is where we find it. (laughs) I had an amazing sabbatical, I really did. I had this sense, there was a lot of planning that went into it, but ultimately Jesus was the one who planned. There were things that I just can't account for that were so wonderful and blessed and healed and renewed us. I think the biggest thing that the time away did for us was kind of break the rhythm of our lives and it pulled us out of our context to allow us to see our lives and to kind of reclaim our lives, not as defined by a role or an institution or somebody else's expectations, but as given to us by our loving Lord, just as a child of God, a son or a daughter. We reclaimed our lives, and this gives us the ability then to give them away again, to give them away to Jesus and to his purposes in the world. So I'm back, I'm signed up, I'm ready to go, ready to serve, looking for the adventure with you, and I wanna invite you to join me. I already have a sense that the Lord was at work while I was away. Somehow our attendance went up. I'm not sure, I'm not sure what that, what that says. But um, the Lord's at work, and I, I, I sense that he's at work in your life too, and I can't wait to hear about that. I hope we'll get a chance to talk about that together uh, sometime in the near future. But I wanna invite, invite you to join me. I just know that when we do what the Lord invited Israel to do via Jeremiah, to invite him into our contested spaces, to pursue him with our whole minds, and to release his power through prayer, I just know our best days are ahead. May we receive the words that Jesus spoke over the church of Philadelphia in Revelations 3, 8, when he said, look, 
I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word. I've set before you an open door. I'm eager to see what doors the Lord is opening for us here at UPC and to walk together through them. To him be the glory. Amen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we do, we do trust that you've gathered us here today for something special. What a privilege it is to be a part of that. So open our minds and open our hearts to allow us to cherish and to treasure, to marvel at, at what you're doing in our lives and in your church around the world. And give us the courage, the same courage we prayed for our friend Naji. Give us the courage to be your messengers, ambassadors, agents of peace here in our own time and place. In Christ's name we pray, amen.